0: You are, you are now tuned in, in, to, in the to the 26th December 26er podcast, podcast where, we where we encourage you, you to, be to be extraordinary on an ordinary, on an ordinary day. day. Family, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and I'm bringing you another interview. This episode's guest is Gregory Neesmith. Gregory is a radio and podcast host, and he's so much more. He's an entrepreneur, certified coach, and turnaround expert. Gregory helps underdogs get their swagger back in business and in life. During our conversation, he drops a number of jewels that may help you start your own life reboot. And he knows of what he speaks because he's gone through his own personal and professional reset. Gregory is a former global marketing executive for a Fortune 100 company, and he walked away from it all to chart his own course. A course that included a journey of self-discovery. He even found his biological parents. So much great information packed into this interview, and I really hope you enjoy so take a listen. Gregory, welcome to the December 26th podcast.
1: Glad to be here.
0: Glad to have you. So tell us, who is Gregory Neesmith?
1: So we're just going to start off just like We're
0: going right into it. I don't play any games. I, I feel <laughs> like the person in class now who <laughs> has to go. I wish I, I could go last because I want to see how
1: everybody else introduces nope, themselves. No, nope, no, you got to go for it. Uh, my name is Gregory Neesmith and I am an entrepreneur a certified coach, content creator, consultant, a bunch of other stuff. But when it's all said and done, I'm really into exploring how do underdogs rediscover their special stuff and get their swagger back.
0: And that is what attracted me to you as a prospective guest, because I feel like many of the folks who listen to the December 26th podcast are underdogs and trying to figure out how to turn the ship in a new direction. Um, so tell me what, in your mind, Who is an underdog? What does that really mean?
1: Well, for me, underdog means, and I'm a big sports fan, Mm -hmm. and oftentimes the underdog is the team that isn't picked to win. Um, And in the bigger scheme of life, for me, underdog means folks who have the odds stacked against them. And I can relate to that in a couple of different ways. I was in foster care and then eventually adopted. I'm a Black American, which gives you underdog status almost instantly. I mean, really. (laughs) I'm an entrepreneur now. So taking on existing businesses and starting from scratch, there's so many different parts of my life that I felt like the odds are stacked against me. And at the same time, I've been blessed to... Every now and then figure some of it out and wanted to make sure I get to help other people along that journey, too.
0: Got it. So what does that look like when you say you're going to help an underdog discover their special, did you say stuff? Special stuff. Their special stuff. When you go to someone and you're, you're pitching your services, what, what does that look like for Gregory?
1: Um, it looks like... Well, there's something that I've been working on, but Mm -hmm. um, because I get asked that question a lot, like, what does that look like? And I started to think, well, what's the the journey look like? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes there's like a start, a middle and an end to getting your swagger back. I started to look at what's happened in some of the companies I've worked in. Uh, with some of the startups I've worked with, with some of the clients I've had, some of my own personal life. And then I realized there are some steps to this. Right. And I actually am playing around with a term, a name. I don't know if it's final yet, but I'm calling it the Swagger Back Commandments.
0: The Swagger Back Commandments. Yeah,
1: turnaround tips to rediscover your special stuff
0: and get your swagger back. And let me guess, there are 10 of them. Yes. how do you know? Because I mean commandments. <laughs> there's usually ten commandments, right? True, but not even the Bible ones. I was inspired more <laughs> by the Biggie ones, but at the end of the day, it's and still... I'm not mad at that. I-, I am not mad at that. There are many listeners who will relate to the Biggie reference, maybe more so than the biblical reference. I mean, we've got some church-going folks who listen as well. Cool. but and and I love you. so do I. <laughs> yeah, and it, then many of us, you know, we move between two worlds and we code switch when when necessary. So I get that. So I'm gonna put you on the spot. Can you at least give us a highlight or a snippet of the 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 ten commandments you've developed? Yes,
1: this is gonna be. Like like an early preview go for it <laughs> these 10 may not be the final 10 all good but I will say for sure the first couple are definitely going to be in so the first one is called uh, change your address
0: I already know I already know I'm going to enjoy this what do you mean by change your address
1: a change an address can change your life so this whole idea of uh, again probably another hip-hop reference mm-hmm. here but you ever heard people say like what are you fronting about So in my life, other underdogs' life, sometimes we're fronting about something. So we're on front street. Right. And so while literally moving is hard, right? Should I stay? Should I go? I got to get new friends. Got to get new routine. Moving's hard. Metaphorically, it's hard, too, when there might be a situation or something bad going on and you're just like, I'm on Front Street about it, but I'd like to get to, I don't know, Swaggerback Boulevard. We'll make something up. But you want to get your change of address. And so there's a couple things there. Oftentimes, the hardest problem to solve is a problem you don't know you have. True. And that's one part of it. So sometimes we front and we don't even know we front about something. Um, and then the other part is sometimes we're just complaining and not moving. And so one of the first steps to getting our swagger back is trying to figure out, like, what are we on Front Street about? Uh, one of my favorite stories is, have you ever heard the howling Dog story? No, give me this story. All right. Of course, I had to try to find a story that had a dog in it Mm -hmm. because underdog stuff and so forth. But So there's this howling dog. So I'll use me as the person in the example. So it's a fable that some people have heard, but I'll I'll share with them. So I move into a neighborhood. I got a new house. I don't have a new house, but it'd be nice if I had a new house. I have a new house. And um, I've been there for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months. And there's this dog that keeps howling, just howling all the time. So, finally, one day, I go out, and I see my neighbor across the way. He's sitting on the porch, and I see the dog that I think's been howling all this time. So, I ask Henry, I'm like, Henry, yo, is that your dog? He's like, yeah, it's my dog. I'm like, cool. I'm like, uh, why is he he howling? And then Henry takes a deep breath, sips on some of his coffee, looks back at me, he goes, he's howling because he's sitting on a nail. Like, all right, cool, cool. Send the nail. I got it. Why doesn't he get up off the nail? And he again pauses, takes a little sip of his cough, and he goes, because the nail's not in deep enough. Wow. And so when I talk about a change of address can change your life, one of the things I realize is that change happens for a couple reasons. Sometimes something tragic happens. Mm -hmm. That's the one I try to avoid. But hey, stuff happens to all of us. It's happened to me. And that can sometimes be a trigger for change. Um, The other can be getting in touch with like our feelings, like how satisfied you are about something. and so one place to look about where you may not be satisfied or not feeling sad or down is like, what are you howling about that you haven't done anything about mm-hmm. it yet? And then the other place to look sometimes is just literally ask that person who you know you don't want to hear their feedback sure. from. But they they'll probably tell you what they've noticed about you and stuff like that. So it's really trying to figure out like, what are you on front street about that really matters to you? And then starting to go on the journey of like, how do I make that change? But it's acknowledging like, what's not working first is the first step of the turnaround. Figuring out what the problem is. And then we can start to work on it.
0: So let's translate that nail not being deep enough Mm -hmm. into things that people go through. Real life problems. Because I come across folks all the time who are committed to complaining. (laughs) And they're so married to the story about what they can't and what's driving them crazy. And they do feel trapped. And when you say, "Okay, what's your plan to get out? They always seem to segue back to just complaining about the issue. So if someone says, you know, I'm over this, I need to make a change. But then they're just complaining. What do you think is keeping them there?
2: Um,
1: Oftentimes what's keeping them there is uh, what I like to call um, what had happened was. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a working name for one of the other commandments. Um, But oftentimes I've held on to certain beliefs about myself or the world. So... I was adopted, foster care for a little while. I'm a little kid. You know, I try to, try to rationalize what's going on. And I'm like, oh, maybe I'm just not that special. That's why they didn't want me. That may not be true, but it was true for me. It's how I felt. So I'm walking around in life with this operating system of like, I'm not that special.
0: You were rejected.
1: Yeah. So oftentimes I will do things to make sure I'm right about not being that special. I'll stay in a job longer than I should because I want to be right about I'm Mm -hmm. not really that special in that work. Or I'll stay in a relationship longer than I should because I'm going to be right about I'm not that special. Um, And so oftentimes why people, myself, you, others, sometimes we stay in things that aren't working is because we want to be right about some belief we have about ourselves.
0: Got it. I like that. So let's talk a little bit more about your personal story. Okay. Because I, I think that's inspiring. How old were you when you ended up in foster care?
1: Um... From zero, I guess, day one to to two years old. Two years old. (laughs) Yes.
0: And then, so you were, the family that fostered you, is that the family that adopted you?
1: No, no, I got adopted by Henry and Hallie Neesmith.
0: (laughs) Shout out to Henry and, and what'd you say? Hallie. And Hallie. My angels
1: and my parents. Awesome.
0: So how old were you when you found out that you were adopted?
1: Um... The, the time I remember best was around when I was, like, 10 or 11. Okay. I was having a conversation with my parents. They said something about, oh, you know, because your cousin doesn't have a figure or something like that, and you were adopting and I am like, who,
0: what? Wait, that's how it came out?
1: <laughs> I say that to say that's when I remember actually acknowledging Got it. it or I, I think I was told, and I really believe I was told old, uh, when I was younger, but I just kind of blocked it out. Understood. Um, yeah.
0: And do you think that at 10 or 11, those seeds of rejection were planted or do you feel like that happened when you got a little bit older and sort of had a little bit more understanding of what fostering and adoption means?
1: No, I think. It was when I was younger okay. um, because I had access to some of the birth records that my parents shared with me. And it said that I had other siblings. Okay. And they got to stay with my um, biological mom and I didn't. So I took that as like, something's wrong with me. Um, and so the one thing I give myself credit for now is the the brilliance of being a child, like figuring out how to survive, right? I didn't sure. have a therapist. I didn't have like, so I did things like, oh, I'll be the peacemaker. Um, I learned to be a great listener. I learned like, how to be the consensus builder because I didn't want to get kicked out of another place again. Uh And while that's good, it has like a ceiling, right? And so it means that sometimes I would avoid conflict. It means sometimes that I wouldn't fight because I thought that a fight or conflict might mean that things are going to end. So, you know, those are things that I took on as a kid because I just wanted to survive. And there's things right. that you took on as a kid, the things that the people listening take on as kids that are brilliant, right? They right. get us, like, through each day. <laughs> they help us cope. Yeah. And then when we get to be adults, and hopefully we get a chance to unlearn some things that may not be working for us. But that was just me trying to figure out how to, you know, grow
0: up. Right. And I I feel that a lot of the perfectionists that I meet, I am one recovering profession is still working through that. But often there's this underlying idea that love comes with conditions, right? And yeah. you have to be perfect and you have to do everything right and you have to be amenable. You have to be a yes person. You know, you've got to be all these extra things to get people's love and acceptance yeah. because somebody walked out or somebody failed you in some way as a child. So how did, how did you start to unlearn that? Oh,
1: I would say I... Got some new people in my life.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I I forget who says that. I want to say it's Cheryl Sandberg or uh, there's there's a saying that we all need more support than we're getting. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that. Um, it's true though. Mm-hmm. I am. You are. You, like all of us aren't getting as much support as we as we need. And so I got lucky enough. One of my friends was like, Hey, I took this leadership development um course. It's really helped me. And I was like, Okay, it seems. And I knew this woman. We'd actually went out on a date. Things didn't really go well. Mm -hmm. We would end up seeing each other like years later and she was like, hey, I want to tell you about this thing. I took," And I could actually notice her vibe seemed different. Okay, And so I was like, all right, cool. Like I'll try out some personal development. Mm Of course, it's only a couple of nights. I think it was like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And so that started. I actually started to get support Mm -hmm. and also professional support, which was cool. Like I always say, don't call your mama for everything.
0: I like that. That's Um, true.
1: Because like she's your mom. Mm -hmm. She's not, your therapist. She's not your mechanic. She's not your accountant. She's, you know, <laughs> and so it helps to like reach out and get support from all the people in our lives. And sometimes those are folks that we may not even know right now. And so I, I started to get professional support to help me unlearn some of those things.
0: Got it. So what do you say to the person who may hear this? Because we, I think sometimes we we can fall into that your blues ain't like mine type mm-hmm. situation. So somebody hears this and says, well, you know, that's great. You you were in foster care for a couple of years. You were taken in and adopted by a loving family parents that clearly have nurtured you in an amazing way but I never made it out of foster care or I ended up in a home that was abusive of course you were able to get over that because your circumstances weren't that bad you know what do you say to the person that hears your story or any story and puts measures theirs against it and says but my history is worse than yours my history is different and that's why I can't overcome
2: yeah
1: well first um That happens, right? Mm -hmm. What you just said happens, I think, to all of us, where sometimes we say something and someone goes, well, my pain was this. And And so I always say first, um, don't be dismissive of of anybody's pain. Mm -hmm. So my first come from, it's just like, I'm going to hear that person out first. Um, Second, this ain't a competition. So I'm not even trying to have better or worse pain than anyone else. Um, But I say... That that's real. Mm-hmm. And so where I start from is, let's talk about how do we even get the person to like a foundation. So some of the stuff I talk about from an underdog's perspective, I also help um, work with an organization that works with formerly incarcerated men and women who are in transition to get their life back together to get mm-hmm. work and stuff like that. So obviously that's a different situation than if I'm working with someone who's like a corporate executive who's right. like trying to figure out what they want to do next in life. In the situation you described, I'm like, let's talk about how you get back to ground zero. Let's make sure that you got a roof over your head. Right. Let's make sure you got food on the table. <laughs> let's make sure that we're getting you any, like, professional support that you need right away, whether it's a therapist or whether it's um, rehab or, like, whatever it could be. Like, let's get the foundation set. Right. I'm I'm not here, like, saying that there's some one-size-fits-all. If someone's in a real tough situation, then we get them back to, like, a, a base. Right. Right. Because none of this stuff works until any of us have a base to build off of.
0: Yeah, and I think as a culture, sometimes we dismiss the, the, the need for that base, right? We are resilient people. We've been through a lot. I think that fight and that survival mechanism is in our bones. It's in our blood. It's who we are. But sometimes we can dismiss or or be willfully ignorant of the trauma yeah, that no, needs to yeah. be dealt with. Or if you're talking about people who've been formerly incarcerated, that having been in you know in an institution where you're treated, in a way that's often inhumane. Yeah. Dealing with all of that stuff before you can really function uh, in a manner that's going to help you to excel. So now we know one size, you know, does not fit all. But what do you say to the person who's got the base but says, you know, I- I'm doing all right, Gregory, but I still can't get started. I still can't make that one step. I know I need to change my address, but I just can't do it. I don't know why. What do you say to them?
1: Um, I, I, a couple of things. First, um, I always think it's good if, if, if I can... Enroll someone into taking a pause.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And literally one of my favorite things to do is have someone fill out what I call like the wheel of life. Yes. And it has the different parts of their life. Love that. Um, their romantic life, their family life, their um, how they feel about their health and wellness, their personal development, their career, their finances. And just literally say on a scale of one to ten, how satisfied are you in those areas? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes people are gonna have different levels of where they're at and I want to find out from that person where are they not satisfied in their life currently and of those places, which are the ones that really matter to them the most. And then we start to to help that person get in touch with like, you know what? I'm really not feeling the fact that my career sucks right now. Mm -hmm. And just even starting to realize that can start the the path towards, well, what are you re- willing to fight for related right. to your career? What would what would coping even look like? Because mm-hmm. sometimes people have checked out, totally. and so they're like walking zombies going to work every day. So sometimes, and, and I think you made the point earlier about um, what if someone's in a bad situation. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes people forget that there are levels to change. Sure. So if someone's checked out, they're like, mm-hmm. I'm just going through the motions of my career. Well, the next thing you tell them, you don't tell them like, hey, how can you do your job? We're like, you win and everybody wins like no start with just like can you get them to like fight for or care something about their career right <laughs> can you get them to maybe get a job that at least doesn't make them feel bad <laughs> start working them up the the ladder like I, I think sometimes we think there's quick fixes or we're dismissing people's feelings or we think that people can just jump from like sad to like joyous right.
0: It's, it doesn't. It's not, life doesn't work like that most of the time. Right. And that is that is sort of in my gripe with this help, self-help age that we live in and like the secret and you just got to see it. That is great, right? <laughs> and I have my own vision board and I have my dreams and things that I'm trying to accomplish. But the time in my life where, where I was the most off track and I couldn't see it was because the foundational things were so out of whack that I couldn't cope on a day-to-day basis. So when you're filled with anxiety or depression about that, it's hard to envision something else. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, I like that you said getting that coping part down. And I think it's okay to acknowledge this sucks. Like, I'm in mm-hmm. a bad place. And it, it just by saying that, it doesn't mean that you are just c- a completely negative person who lacks direction You know, mm-hmm. in a positive way. It's just being honest with yourself. And I wish we did it more.
1: No, we should. Uh, one of my uh, favorite examples is this, this idea of, let's say someone um, has decided to stop dating. Mm-hmm. They've checked out. It happens, right? We all sometimes like, oh, I don't want to date anymore. Especially uh, in New York. <laughs> yes. And then, um, let's say they're in a relationship where they feel like they want to check out. But now, all of a sudden, there's like a little bit, like, they're willing to maybe fight for a relationship. It might be a bad one, but they're willing to, like, fight for it to make it work. It's like, that's a step. And then sometimes people get into relationships where, like, it's just good enough. Mm-hmm. And actually, each one of those steps is to be celebrated because you're, you're now raising your energy. You're now, like, approaching life differently. And there's steps to it. And eventually, you don't want to stay in any one of those places. But it's okay to, like, sometimes celebrate that sometimes someone is just willing to fight for something. Right. Because it means that now they're a step above, like, wanting to just give up. Yeah. So, you know, but yeah, I, d- I don't believe in, like, the quick fix. Um, I don't think we give enough attention to the theory of incremental steps. Um, Most things aren't quick fixes in it's, anything in life. And so not. Journey of an Underdog definitely isn't.
0: And a quick fix is rarely, if ever, sustainable. It's just, you, you might have it for a moment, yeah. but it's not permanent. So... Let's talk a little bit more about your swagger, because dealing with this community, right, this this demographic, I feel that you're exposed to a lot of negativity. And if you're an empath, it can be hard not to take that on. I, I know I struggle with that. I feel so drained some days because more than one person has, you know, sort of invited in me in one way or another. So how do you maintain your swagger and stay up when you're dealing with folks who may be low? Um, it's... It's a challenge. Mm -hmm.
1: I would say, while I know the theory of be committed, but not too attached, but I'm, you know, I'm a work in progress. Mm -hmm. I I think what helps me is trying to stay in the mindset of like, just what my intentions are. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that whole idea of to whom much is given, much is required. And it's just part of the journey. Like I I do feel Mm -hmm. um, what others feel. And then I also know that I get to also feel my feelings too. Right, Um, And not take things too personal, but at the same time still care. And so I think what I've learned is, like, both feelings get to be acknowledged. Like, it's okay for me to be down because someone else is down. And it's also okay for me to be excited, like, hey, I'm doing an interview on December 26th podcast. And, (laughs) And, like, it's okay for me to have that emotion, too, and to not have to make the other person take on that joy that I have. Sure. um, And then also still have compassion and concern for them. I mean, you know, so they both exist.
0: And I think that's an important thing that you brought up. So since we've started doing this podcast i've come across so many people of color who fall within my age bracket who are doing some incredible things and making great strides and i think there are times when we can have survivors guilt almost because you may know some folks who made a different choice in life yep. right the homies from back in the day or, or anything or yeah. just they've they've reached some calamity through no fault of their own and sometimes it's hard to maintain joy because you know that is happening and, and i'm learning how to be just that. Be joyful and still have compassion, and th- and know that those things can coexist. And I don't have to dim my light because someone else is trying to figure out how to reignite theirs.
1: Yes, and I think I think when we're doing good in the world, we're like it's not you're not out here trying to like do harm. Like mm-hmm. you do what you do for work, you do the podcast. Like you're you're trying to do good in the world. Right, and I think people have a certain. Space for that,
2: mm-hmm.
1: where if if we do it with a, a sense of humility, but out of a sense of passion, and we want to be good at it, and we, then I think people will allow you to also be like, oh yeah, I'm I'm cheering for her, even right. though right now like I feel messed up. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and that yeah, I want her to to shine because mm-hmm. I needed some sunshine out here. Right. She's gonna bring <laughs> it, it. It's I'm good to know it. somebody's making it out here. <laughs> right. And I think people can feel that. Like, you always hear stories about people who can go back to where they came from, Mm -hmm. where things may be rough for people still there, but they love that person because they know that person still loves them, doesn't judge them, and is still authentically themselves. And it's like the hood, for lack of a better example right now, can still love you, and you can still love them and still go out and be you. Right.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And I have to apologize.
1: Yes. For that. Now, if you're being mean to people <laughs> or stuff like that, then you apologize, and then, right. and then you might not get that same love. But you know, I think I think people appreciate good people.
0: They do. I I agree. So let's talk more about your work because how does one get from? I've done some internal work. You know, I am an underdog. <laughs> finding a better way finding my way and now I'm gonna help other people do that and I'm gonna build a brand like did you have an epiphany one day like was <laughs> it instantaneous or over time did this thing develop so
1: I um I was doing my uh, coaching certification mm-hmm. and it's about a nine month to year and a half program and we were just finishing up the final emergent session, and one of the things they talk about is this inner voice we have, this inner critic, this, um, like, our, our operating system that doesn't work for us. Like, remember I said like, I'm not special enough. Yes. To to that. So, we were going through that exercise, and I was like, oh, my, like, inner critic or inner voice is this idea of like, oh, I walk around thinking that maybe I'm not that special or that lovable, and so I don't do certain things because I think, well, I've always wanted a radio talk show since I was 10 years old, but who's gonna want to listen to me? So, I waited, like, decades before mm-hmm. I started. I didn't start until in my 30s, and so, um... So So we were doing that exercise, and this woman says to me, she goes, do you know the difference between your calling and your purpose? So my ego wanted to be like, yeah, I I know what that means. (laughs) But in my head, I was like, I don't think, I'm like, if she asked me to tell her what it means, I'm like, I don't know if I really know. I can't
0: answer that I was (laughs) like, I don't
1: think I really know. So this is one of those moments where you talk about, like, your everyday ordinary, like, I was like, you know what? I'm like, I don't don't know, I don't know, tell me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she was like, basically, your purpose is more for you. So um, how you find meaning. And so this idea of like, for me, my purpose was to be feel special again or be special. Got it. Your calling is what you go share with the world. And so when she said that to me, I was like, well, I want to be special again. And I guess my calling is to help people rediscover how special they are. I understood. And so I'm like, that's what I'm here to do then. And I remember learning years ago that it's awesome when we can find something that we're curious about or interested in doing willing to be extraordinary at it and then it serves a lot of people and so I was like cool I'm curious about like turning things around um there's things like coaching and consulting and broadcast I'm willing to like be extraordinary at and then I think there's people out there that I can go serve mm-hmm. so let's go do it
0: okay I like that so here's the thing I know realistically speaking you don't wake up and say I'm here to serve you know let's go do it and then how do you know? No, I'm (laughs) sure. I don't. Because I know. I talked to enough people. I know my own story. I know. I wake up
1: and I am like, you know, today I am going to serve humanity.
0: Right. I'm going to serve humanity and all my bills are going to be paid and everything's going to be great. Right. So I presume you weren't able to monetize this from day one. Shoot. Who said I'm in monetizing now? Okay, you said it, (laughs) not me. So how do you monetize what does that look like for you? Serving but also making sure the lights stay on. Um so
1: um this is where my um probably nerdy side comes out. Is that and and actually
0: risk averse side too? I- I'm with you there.
1: Yes. So um for 16 years I worked in corporate America doing marketing and general management for Craft Foods Mondelēz International. I did that for the business in the US and globally. Wow. Um and so I managed profit and loss statements um, marketing campaigns, that whole gamut. And so one of the exercises we should always do is, like, you need to make your profit number for a given quarter or for a given year. And so while it's always fun to be like, yo, I'm going to sell more. I'm going to raise my revenue. I'm going to get more market share. The one thing you always kind of knew you could do is cut costs.
0: <laughs> that is true.
1: <laughs> and so when in doubt, it's like, I know I can cut costs. So I applied that to my my personal life. So Three and a half years ago, when I made the choice to leave my job, which a lot of people thought I was crazy, um, I was like, well, I better cut my cost. Immediately. So I did something that seemed crazy at the time. I was about to, I was taught to hoard money, right? You save a lot of money and then you can t- take it out as you need it and just build up as much as you can, emergency stash, and then go out and follow your dreams. And... Um, I talk about sometimes the journey of an dog, like, get new friends, get new people in your life. Mm-hmm. One of my good friends was like, yo, you should spend some money to make some money before you leave your job. And I was like, you sound a bit crazy, but um, tell me a little more. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you know, go buy something. They were like, maybe, like, buy a house. I'm like, so I'm about to leave my job in about <laughs> six months, and you want me to make the largest purchase I've ever made in my life before I leave? She's like, yeah, your credit's good. You got a job like that. I, I was like, I, did I tell you I'm leaving my job? <laughs> you did, to cop this mortgage and let yeah, the salary I'm like, go. <laughs> I don't think you, like, I thought you were a good friend and you listened, but clearly you must have missed the word about I'm leaving. The income is going down. And so I bought a three-family home. Where? In Bayonne, New Jersey. Shout out to Jersey. Bayonne, before I left my job. And people were like, Bayonne? First of all, most people don't even know where Bayonne is. Come on, guys! Like it's right across. It's literally it's on the Hudson. You know, Hoboken, Jersey City. The next town on the Hudson is Bayonne. The Statue of Liberty State Park is it? Like, stop it! But anyway, so people go. Do you? Did you love like moving to Bayonne? And I was like, yeah, because. I just got a little bit more free moving to Bayonne. Right. I lived in one of the apartments, rented out the other two. And so basically, I was paying about $300 a month for my living expenses. And no matter who you are in this world, you look at anyone's budget, what's likely their largest expense item on their monthly budget? Housing. Housing. And so all of a sudden, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to make any money following my dreams and helping underdogs.
0: But I know one thing, I'm going to lower my costs. <laughs> and you did the 300 in the Northeast? Yes. That's a win.
1: So... That was one of the ways I did it is that I started to figure out how can lower costs. Also, um, I got with some friends and we started doing some real estate, flipping some houses, buying some distressed properties, renovating them and selling them. And so I started to lower costs and generate income in ways that had. Technically, nothing to do with underdog stuff, but to a certain degree, it kind of did because the real estate investment company was this whole idea of f the banks mm-hmm. and how do we pull money together with our family, friends, and ex coworkers, and so we were doing like all cash deals, wow. just pulling money together. And the spirit of it was actually uh, underdog's perspective because you know with minorities and people and housing, and if we want to go back to the housing act, years, like there's a so even inside of that, I was still actually starting to live my dream of like. How to like, we help each other turn stuff around. So that was part of how I did it. So I was one of those people that this journey has been making money, actually not specifically doing anything related to the
0: underdog stuff company that I created. But it allows you to be able to pursue your other passions as well.
1: Yes, because things take time. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I learned too in the business world is that, um you know, a lot of ventures we would launch would lose money in the first year or two. And so while I tried to think like, yo, I'm going to start this podcast. I'm going to start this company. I'm going to start coaching. And I'm going to make it in like six months. It's like, where do you do that at? That's, it's that's, just not that's, that's not how it happened. So I created a a space that allowed me to like invest in underdog stuff no. and invest in what I'm curious about, invest in helping people and not have to have as much anxiety around could I afford to do it? Right. Um, and so I got creative about my relationship with money and with housing and like, hey, all of a sudden Bayonne is my favorite place in the world. But but it gave me some freedom. Um, and then I started doing like consulting gigs and while consulting and helping like fast growth entrepreneurial uh, 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 startups. And so I help their leadership teams and their founders and I give them consulting and coaching advice. That's still not my specific lane I want to be in, but it also puts money on the table. It builds me, gives me some credibility and, you know, some people care about the fact they're like, oh, he helps startups. Sure make Turn things around He could probably help me Turn things around So there's some benefits to it But I've been doing things To sustain myself So I can actually give Dedicate my time To like What I feel like Is my calling
0: And you literally Changed your address I did Literally. See what I just did there? I dude. see what you
1: did there. <laughs> I, I was on front street about that job and then I finally changed my address because a changing
0: address can what? your life. life. And <laughs> people need to stop hating on Jersey. I, I keep saying this. Jersey, I live in Jersey. People are always like, ew, when you're moving into the city, Jersey can open up a world of opportunities yes. if you let it. Bayonne. Shout out to
1: <laughs> shout Bayonne. Shout out I, to Bayonne. I live in Harlem now, but shout out to Bayonne. I still have my place to Bayonne and I have a someone in that third apartment now.
0: See, and now you've been able to expand yeah. I'm not mad at that.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. So I, I tell folks, um, and I forget, I don't know if it's Tim Ferriss or... I forget, I read some article where some guy who's, like, very popular in podcasting mm-hmm. now, he actually, like, his start was in doing something else. Like, he was making money doing some business venture mm-hmm. or something like that, and that gave him time to, like, work on his other crap, and then now he does that full-time.
0: And I'm a huge proponent of that. If you can do things that give you so the space, be it literally or figuratively, mental space, headspace, whatever, or find the money, the yeah. means to work on your passion. That's cool too.
1: Yes. Yeah. And uh, and I'm so glad you asked me about the money pieces because the reality is, just like we've been talking uh, throughout the conversation mm-hmm. about like no quick fixes, This this there's, there's no quick fixes, right? So mm-hmm. I, I like that. I want folks to know, yeah, you're going to have to get creative about your relationship to money. Mm-hmm. Like you might have to move in with your aunt. Right. Like, or you might have to be a landlord and you don't didn't want to be a landlord because that's kind of part of the hustle. Right. And at the same time, it allows you to be responsible, mm-hmm. right? So I was being responsible and I took on some new responsibilities, but it was all part of the journey.
0: And sometimes you got to go slow to go fast. Man. And I, I think we live in a culture where... As, Especially after a certain age, you want to look like you made it. And looking like you made it doesn't mean moving in with your eye.
1: (laughs) No, no. Or when I first got into radio, I interned at a station called uh, WRD 96.1 FM in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And they had a Sunday show called The Word Up Show is for Black Millennials. Um, Anyone who knows me knows that I'm Gen X, but they made me their honorary millennial. I was. Answering phones and live tweeting for a 24-year-old radio host.
0: You've got to be kidding
1: (laughs) me. And I'll never forget, I told some of my friends, because I think this was at the point now, a couple months in, where every now and then I would get to, like, say something on the air. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget, one of my friends was like, yo, why are you doing that? You should be hosting the show. And so you hear people say that to you, and then your ego takes a blow,
0: you're just like, I run businesses around the world. I'm interning for a 24-year-old, and I don't even get to say anything on the air. Were you at least paid? No. So you were unpaid intern. How Honestly, old were you? I was, this was 2000 and, um 16, so this was two years ago. Two years ago, you were interning. So, post your career at Craft. Yeah,
1: because I wanted to build up my hours and skill set as a radio host, and because a friend of mine knew the owner of the station, they got me in there to at least, like, work with a show. And so, I was like, it's a fm for profit radio station i've never been on like the radio before i did internet radio up until that point i was like this is cool saturday so it's not during the week and then i would eventually become the executive producer and co-host of that show um but i say that all to say about the journey and things like Mm -hmm. that some of the steps it's like yeah you gotta put in the work
0: right and you could be an expert in In one field and having you have paid your dues in one field and then move over to another and they're like we don't know you. <laughs> you got to start at ground zero.
1: Yeah. And this talks about some of the journey and authenticity we were talking about um, before we even started. It's just like, yeah, my people got to see that I was live tweeting <laughs> for a little while. And for a kid. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs>
0: yeah. Barely yeah. old enough to yes,
1: drink. Yes, but an awesome young man and um, uh, someone I'm still friends with to this day awesome. and appreciate.
0: Uh, well, shout out to you. That 24-year-old. Yes, who's
1: 26 now. now.
0: 26. Yeah,
1: you
0: (laughs) know. Getting closer to 30, but
1: that's awesome. (laughs) Yes, indeed. So it's all good.
0: So what does a typical day look like for you now?
1: Um, Typical day for me uh, takes a lot of discipline. I'm sure. um, Because my my days don't always have scheduled meetings on them. So a typical day for me is wake up and um, plan out my list of of like what would make a successful day, of what things I need to get done. Um, And so a day like today was working on the 10 Swaggerback Commandments in terms of what are they, uh, what's the story behind them, what are the tools and what the workshop could look what the book could look like, like just like building that. And I, Thought to myself, I'm like, no one ever told me how hard it is to write a book and do it. Oh my god. I'm like, man, this, this thing takes a while. Like I'm <laughs> I'm over here going, do I know what I just signed up for? <laughs> I'm like maybe I should just do radio shows every week. <laughs> I've learned how to do that. I think I'm just do that for the rest of my life. But no, I'm not. I'm gonna actually keep working on that of uh, the book and the curriculum. Then did some just prep for for making sure I'd be ready for this interview. Um, I do some consulting for a company called Think Human, which does leadership development coaching. Mm-hmm. And so um, I started prepping on a workshop that I'm going to be giving on their behalf for them. And also just uh, worked out and, you know.
0: So you're productive.
1: Yes, yes, yes.
0: So tell us about your radio show.
1: My um, radio show is called The Gregory Neesmith Show, a special delivery of underdog stuff. And it's this whole idea of how do we uh, mix politics, culture, and personal development. And um, I've been doing it now for about a year and a half. And for the past six months, I've been doing it now solo, uh, which has been an interesting journey. And we take things like, you know, what's going on in the world and and make it personal for folks.
0: So, I mean, you were on the fast track then. If you were just interning in 2016 and now you've had this show for a significant amount of time, that's it. See, this, this helps me because I think you can start at ground zero in something, but who you naturally are and the skills that you have are transferable. Yes. Right? So even though you're at ground zero today, it doesn't mean it's going to take you another 16 years or what have you to get to the level that you were. So you were live tweeting and then, what, less than a year later?
1: Yeah, I I was grinding. While I was doing that show in Mm -hmm. Philly, I was um, a part of a show called Dudes of Disruption that was Mm -hmm. up here in New York. And literally, I was doing one to two shows every week since wow. March of 2015. And now I just do my show every week since um, technically November 2016, but it's been in full swing since January 17.
0: Awesome. And where is that show? Where can people find it?
1: It's on WHCR 90.3 FM, The Voice of Harlem. Uh, if if you're in the New York City area, you can just turn to the radio dial or you can go online at www.whcr.com. And I also broadcast on my Facebook Live at facebook.com slash Gregory Neesmith every Sunday noon to 2 p.m. live. And then there's a podcast that's also out on, like, all the major podcast platforms and my website.
0: And what's that podcast called?
1: It's called The Gregory Neesmith Show.
0: Same name? Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So where do you draw content from for both the podcast and the radio show? A um, couple
1: places. I, I, I'm a bit of a politics junkie, so... Mm-hmm. And politics has become pretty pop culture since Trump has become president. So I pull a lot of stuff from there, from business, uh, from my friends' timelines. Uh, That's, it comes from all those different places. Um, And then also just sometimes what's going on in my personal life.
0: Got it. So since you brought up Trump, 45, I feel like there is a lot of doom and gloom, right? People, it's just creating mass hysteria because of what we see in the media, who is at the helm here uh, and and the people around him. Um, I think people are afraid. They're afraid mm-hmm. of, for our economy, for the the place our our country is is headed in. Do you think that we can navigate these waters and come out unscathed?
1: Oh, well, I don't know about unscathed, mm-hmm. but I, but I think we can navigate these waters. We've we've been in these types of waters before. I think the difference is it hasn't been this in our face mm-hmm. as in a while, right? I'd say probably there was a nice run between civil rights movement up until Trump where there was still housing discrimination. There was still people who were anti-affirmative action. There were still people who were anti-diversity. It just was, you know, they kind of wrapped their iron fist in a velvet glove, so to speak. They were statesmen about it. Very true. Yeah. And so to me, it's just, it's unfortunate that now... It's kind of never left, but now it's just more overt. And that's, uh, it's a stressful time for people. Um, and I think, you know, people can get caught up in doom and despair. Right. And then want to be right about, like, things are never going to work out for them. But that's why I'm a big fan of, like, we all need more support than we're getting. And mm-hmm. these times are even more important that we get all the support we can from family, friends, and from professionals too, to get through it. Because yeah. it's possible.
0: And I, and I think the, the positive, like, silver lining for me is that we're in a time where... It encourages mobilizing and it encourages community. Yeah. Right. We, we need to be a village because there are other people mobilizing <laughs> as yes. well. So I think it motivates people to do that. And also it's shining a spotlight, like you said, on, on problems that have always been there. They've just been hidden in some way or disguised. And I believe that when problems are on front street, it gives people the motivation to start thinking about solutions. Yes. So yes. I, I think some of the greatest creators and creators and innovators of our generation are going to be born out of the time that we live in right now.
1: I, I hope so, because we talked about earlier. Like, there's a difference between being checked out, and there's some value in like folks who are being willing to at least fight. Mm-hmm. And I think we're seeing a lot of people now who went from checked out to willing to fight when you think about the resist movement, things like that. And then hopefully the next step is like, what can we now start to change? Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm, I see the positive in people being more engaged than not as right. a step in the right direction.
0: Absolutely. And whose story do you draw inspiration from? Uh,
1: I draw it from some of my clients. I mean, I draw from my biological parents, from the parents who raised me. Like, mm-hmm. they're uh, they're both, they're all underdogs. I, so uh, just my personal journey. And I find it everywhere. I find it in hip-hop. I find it in Obama. Like, I, I find the inspiration in folks that the odds were stacked against them and they sure. were able to figure it out. And so that comes from, like, everywhere
0: for me. You find that that motivation and inspiration from an amalgam amalgamation of places, huh? Yeah,
1: yeah. Even the story of, like, you guys start this podcast, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's to me like there's always it's like man, there's people who something didn't exist, some experience happens, and then they're like, oh, "I'm gonna start something." I
0: you love just that. started. Yeah. Right? So you're farther in this media game than than we are. How do you stay motivated week after week after week?
1: Um, for one, I want to keep my word to mm-hmm. to myself and to the people who I tell them that every Sunday from noon to 2 p.m. They can expect to to get a special mix of politics, culture and personal development stuff. So part of it is they often say, like, the bigger the game we want to play, so to speak, the more integrity is needed. Like, if I don't want to do anything mm-hmm. in life and just sit on the couch, I don't need, my word doesn't really, like, have to be that strong. Um, and so for me, part of it is just keep my word. The other is, I love what I, like, I do, like, if you told me, would I wake up and do it for free every week, which I do now? Right. <laughs> so I already know the answer. Would I do it for free? Yes. <laughs> so I can't wait to get paid to do it. Like, it's going to be even better. Right. Um, so that keeps me going. Uh, also just the challenge of like getting better every week too mm-hmm. um, also what keeps me going is that there's people who will like inbox me or tell me like hey I listened to your show and like it, that point was really good or that was really timely for me so all those things keep me going uh, my calling keeps me going keeping my word keeps me going getting support knowing that I'm adding value or reaching people like all that stuff keeps me going awesome. um, yeah commitment over feelings as they say right
0: because yes. sometimes I don't feel like it tell me about it <laughs> But I'm committed to it. Well, that, that's a perfect segue because I actually pulled up a quote of yours that I found that I really like. When what? I'm committed, There's a quote? yes, there is a quote. When I'm committed, <laughs> I find a way. When I'm interested, things get in the way. Say it again. That is a good one. I'm going to repeat that. <laughs> when I'm committed, I find a way. When I'm interested, things get in the way. And I think, like, there are a lot of people who are interested in a lot of things, yeah. but the first roadblock, is like, eh, I was doing that, but I'm not doing it anymore. Well, let's talk about Front Street, right? It's,
1: it's okay to be interested in things. Right. But... And it's okay to be committed, but you get to know the difference. And so sometimes it's just about being honest about like, you know what? I'm really not that committed to, um, up until now, I wasn't committed to writing a book. Mm-hmm. One of my friends uh, used to say, uh, he, he's, he's an actual author, and he told me the story once he goes, um, this guy asked me to for some advice. He was like, hey, can you help me with writing a book? I'm interested in writing a book. He said, would you help me? And my friend said back to me, he's like, no. Just like that. Yeah, he's like, I don't help people who are interested. So it's like, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Uh, but I do believe that yeah, when we want something, we figure it out. And when we don't, we don't. But the problem is sometimes there's probably some things that would help us in life if we were committed to them. Right. So then it's actually figuring out, like, is there something that we're interested in that we actually would benefit from being committed to it? Sure. Or. Is there something that we're fronting about that we should just let it go? Right. And just be like, I'm not into that right now. That's
0: fine. And And it could be just a right now. It doesn't mean that you're not into it forever. I mean, I'll tell people all the time. I was a theater kid in high school. You know, I love music and acting and all those great things. But I'm not going to be that person who's living seven people in a house, living off PB&J, struggling to take acting classes and getting rejected in interviews. That's not who I am. And I know that. And that's fine. So for me that might just be an interest for right now. It's not something that I'm fully committed to. I'm going to find a way, no matter what, uh, a little bit too risk averse for that. I'm not interested in cattle call auditions at this moment in my life, but that is okay. But yeah. you're not going to hear me say, I want to be an actress. Yes. Right.
2: And
1: the other thing I, I forgot to mention too is sometimes the difference is, it goes back to that, what we're fronting about. Mm-hmm. So for a long time, I talked about radio as if I was interested in it. Okay. Even though the reality was that I wanted it, and so for me, I had I had to get over the fact that like, oh, I'm fronting about being interested mm-hmm. in it. Actually, I'm committed to it, but I'm afraid to commit to it. Right. There's self doubt. I don't know if anybody's gonna like it. I don't know if I'm good at it. And so to me, sometimes unlocking that is a big deal too. And then also once I change my language from you know, hey, I'm interested in having a radio show to like. No, I'm committed to having a nationally syndicated radio show. Mm-hmm. People hear you different. So now, all of a sudden, when I say that, someone goes, Hey, Gregory, I know someone at uh, WRD 96.1. Oh, you want me to introduce them to you? Because now they know that I'm committed to right. figuring it out. I'm no longer interested in it. So, also, the world dances with us differently, too. Absolutely. When we change to committed from interested, that's if we want to. And if we're ready to, the world treats us differently.
0: And things start to align. Yeah, I've even seen that just with this podcast. In the beginning, it was like I think it was more for other people's benefit than my own, like dumbing it down. Like, oh, I'm trying to do this podcast.
2: Yeah, you mean, know,
1: I'm just, yeah, it's a, a hobby of mine. Yeah. You know, I'm just we just we yeah. just we just, we're just, we're just talking on a mic every now and yeah, then, just <laughs> chatting with
0: people. You know, but then when I got to the point where I was like, no, this is the first phase of a multi. Faceted, multi-stage endeavor around creating platforms for people of color to deliver whatever their message is and whatever their brand is. When I started talking about it that way, the guests started popping up more guests quickly. Are... You know, just things you started start falling into mics. place. You, yes. you
1: start getting You start sending out emails. You start having pre-interviews. Like, you start to... You start to act differently. Right. And so as a result, then it's like, oh, then I better make sure I get ready for this interview because they're they doing their thing. Like, they're ready.
0: Exactly. And so then people... I interact with you guys differently. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's whatever you're projecting, that's really what you're going to get back. And I think the quicker people can realize that, and you can be unapologetic about big dreams and, like, big goals and things that you're working towards. You know, it's that—I've I've brought it up on here more than once. It's that Diddy confidence. Yes, like, shiny
2: mogul. suit, man. I'm it's out here. That, I
0: gotta the Diddy bot when <laughs> I walk. I exactly. Okay. Can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> uh-uh, not happening. <laughs> not. <laughs> so tell me about a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day.
1: I would say what comes to mind— Thinking about my job and when I left, I was there for 16 years. And that's
0: some time.
1: Yeah, sweet 16. Mm-hmm. And well, there's a story behind why I stayed so long, but that's a whole now story.
0: Now I want to hear it. We can go back to that though. Go ahead. It's a
1: whole separate story. But uh and so I would get promotions and stuff pretty frequently over those 16 years. And a standard question from my dad would be like, Hey, you loving the new job? You just got a new promotion. And my answer would be like, Yeah. And I'll never forget 2013, I think it was. I left in the end of 14. I remember like the, like, clearest day. I was driving my car because I lived in Jersey, had a car. Now I don't. But, and I, and I had to, my parking spot, I have to turn and then back in. Mm-hmm. And so I'm about to make the turn before I back in. I'm on the phone with my dad and he goes like, hey, how you loving a new job? And I'll never forget. I stopped the truck. And I put it in park before I would normally, you know, going to back into the spot. And I stopped and I was like, you know what, dad? I don't love the new job. And so in that moment, the ordinary question, Mm -hmm. you know, just like someone goes like, how you doing? And most of the time we say, Fine. fine. And every now and then we stop and we actually answer the question. And so it was the first time that I stopped. And I was like, I don't I don't love my job.
0: You're honest about it.
1: Yeah. And I'll never forget, like when we finished the conversation and I literally am like halfway in the street and I'm still in the spot where I'm supposed to still back up. And I just sat there and I was like, you know, what am I going to do about the fact that I don't love my job anymore? Mm -hmm. And that was part of the start of preparing and figuring out like how to leave. And it was one day just answering an ordinary question in a non-ordinary way, which was like, Actually, very honest.
0: And being honest, to me, that is being extraordinary because we're so pre programmed sometimes just like give the knee jerk you know and so much so that you ever like have asked somebody how they're doing and they say not good and it like catches you off yeah, guard yeah. like oh I wasn't, like, I wasn't I ready don't for that. To say to like... I, I didn't know how to respond I didn't know you were gonna just drop it on me like that. I was like oh I didn't really <laughs> hey I would have asked you like are you okay if I wanted you to say not really how you doing? <laughs> and if people were honest we all have been in that situation where you're like man I didn't know she really was yeah, just gonna was tell like, me the truth.
1: You... I didn't ask that question did yeah. I? Oh.
0: <laughs> so how 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 long was it between that moment and the car to when you actually left? Uh, I
1: think it was like about a year and a half.
0: So still, I mean, and that's hard, too, when you've decided and you know and you've acknowledged that I don't love this and I'm ready to go, but you still got to get up for another 18 months.
1: Yes. Yeah, so one of the things I always tell folks to do is, for one, you don't have to go to work the next day, right? Sometimes people are like, I had to go to work. I got bills. But they mm-hmm. like, you don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't. Like, you can break leases. You can go sleep on someone's couch. Like, you you actually, as much as we don't like to, like, say it, mm-hmm. it's like, no, you can leave tomorrow. Right. Now, there's consequences that come with that, considerations, but I always want folks to get in touch with that because I want them to then know that they get to choose to stay too until they leave. And so I had to like come to grips with like, nobody's forcing me to go into work this next year and a Mm -hmm. half. Why am I going to go into work? For one, I haven't planned to leave yet. For two, I don't financially feel like I'm set up to go. And I'm not quite sure what I would do with my first day off. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to go to work. And do those things. Oh, and on top of that, let me see if I can get this global role before I go so I can go see the world Mm -hmm. and they pay for it. And let's just see what it'd be like for me to lead around the world because I'm just crazy enough to think that one day I'll get to do that around some things that really mean something to me. Right. And so I chose to go to work for the next year and a half.
0: And this is why... This is a great story, and this is why I encourage people before they they pull the trigger, they're like, I'm done. Like, I'm I'm walking out. I can't do this anymore on anything. I always ask, is there any other value you can draw from that situation? Is there any value add, something that it can add to your life in a positive way to help set you up? It may not even be in the immediate future, but some point where you have a full circle moments like see that's why I needed to stay, right? Because yeah. there's something else there that I needed to get. And I, I encourage people to, to to have that analysis and spend yes. sit with it before you just, you know, flip the desk and like walk out. Yes. You know, yes. so but before you made that decision, what what kept you all that time? Was it the promotions or was it something else?
1: So I went to um college at University of Pennsylvania.
0: Shout out to the Quakers. You know I'm a Penn Alum. Oh <laughs> see. We need to get into that, but so so I was in Warden undergrad from 1993
1: to
2: 1998. I did a uh, on- young looking man.
1: Re- it's, it's good living.
0: Our producer just change. totally jumped in the conversation because it's all good. It <laughs>
2: just caught me. Wrong. Yeah,
0: because Gre- even when you said you were a Gen Xer, I was like Gen Xer what? Because you I, look way younger. I, I
1: get an honorary millennial card. Also, because I did a show for millennials too, but you know, I'm, but we talked about authentic stuff like that. I'm me. So I, I didn't try to be a millennial. Mm-hmm. I just out here, just
0: be So you myself. were high school class of 90, 93. 93. Yeah. Wow. 25 years ago. Look at that. See that melanin, that <laughs> yes. melanin magic. You just Yo, don't it's... know. I say this all the time. People are like, well, how old do you think so and so is? I'm like, they could be 35 or 50. I have no idea. <laughs> That's that melanin.
1: Yes. It's, uh, and I'm grateful for it.
0: So oh. anyway, back to the story at Wharton. So they did on, so, Craft
1: Foods at the time was like the dot-com boom was happening. All these MBAs were like leaving for a job. And they were like, how can we get some more talent in that might stay longer than these MBAs? So they picked Michigan because we had an office in the Chicago area. uh, University of Wisconsin because they had Oscar Mayer out there. And they picked Penn because there were some people like, oh, let's use the Penn pipeline because we we take some of the grads, um, MBAs. And so they started hiring undergrads right into like brand management. Are you serious? So... Instead of starting as a uh, an ABM, an associate brand manager, you start as a brand assistant. So they did on-campus recruiting. I think we were, I was part of the second or third class that they were testing this out. So the, my last year, like like I got the job before I finished. Ah, okay. And I never finished and I kind of just started and I kind of kept the secret for a long time and worked there and also felt like I was trapped because like I didn't finish school. Then I'm like, oh, can I go someplace else? And I was keeping this big secret. And so part of it was just Also realizing that that made me feel trapped, too. And, um, you know, secrets weigh heavy on people, like, no matter what they are. Mm -hmm. Um, And so part of me leaving, too, was to actually, like, start my Operation Freedom. So, like, telling my parents, telling people, like, hey, I didn't finish.
0: So you never got your degree, is what you're saying? No.
1: Really? Yeah. So that's part of my story, too. So during that time... Four years ago, I let folks know that I didn't finish. I went and found my biological parents. Um, I left my job. I started this company, started a radio show. Like, I just started, like, being alive again.
0: So wait, wait, wait. Let's back up, okay? Like, let, let's back up here. So people didn't know that, when you, but your family knew, right, that you no. didn't finish. What? Okay, first of all, you know how we are when it comes to college graduations. You know what I mean by we? Yes. We show up and we show out. Yes. So you, did you walk?
1: I walked because I still had
0: summer classes still.
1: Got it. Yeah. Okay. So, so you walked. Yeah. So
0: I was like still
1: trying to finish. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't like I just left school. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I walked because
0: I still had courses that summer. Though. Got it. And so you walked, put the cap and gown on. Yep. Walked, started the job. Were they under the impression that you were going to finish?
1: Yes. They were under the impression that I had
0: finished. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. it's. So they never verified. No. And I mean, I guess back then it was a lot easier to not verify. That probably wouldn't happen today. So you held this. Yes. For all of those years. Wow. Yeah. And then four years ago, you were like.
1: I I finally, like I said, I I got some support in my life. Mm -hmm. um, And I got in touch with like, I wasn't happy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I hadn't felt like, I hadn't felt alive probably since I was in high school. Um, And so I wanted to rediscover my special stuff and get my swagger back.
0: Wow. Okay. So you let the cat out of the bag. Yeah. What did your adoptive parents say?
1: Um they were I think appreciative of the honesty. Okay. Cuz what I realized is that all my parents ever really wanted is for me to be happy and just be honest with them. Mm-hmm. Um and so they were excited that from the standpoint of like this weight was probably taken off of me. And then I also said like, hey, I'm actually committed to trying to figure out how to go back and finish, mm-hmm. too. Um, But I'm like, hey, I'm going to like start over. Wow. So have you
0: gone back or you plan to? I
1: went back in um, 16 for a semester. Mm-hmm. And then I still have another semester and a half probably to go because there's like a proficiency language requirement thing that some of that I can do here. But some of the coursework, the Warren coursework, they're like, no, you got to come back. Got to show up. I was like, can I take it at Columbia? They're like, no. I'm like, you all so. You know how Orton is. I know how they listening. are. So I mean so
0: I, I get it. Like, you know, I, I, I get it. I understand.
1: I ain't mad at y'all. <laughs> God,
0: it. that's that this is fascinating for me.
1: Yeah, so I so so I there's a lot of things that I guess I can relate to in terms of resets or I can relate to even sometimes, I guess, millennials. I'm like, hey, I was just in school like a year ago. I'm mm-hmm. interned for people. I'm, you know, I'm out here trying to start a career, too. I'm trying to navigate the world. Um, and then at the same time, I also have this 16 years of experience where I've run businesses and teams and locally and
0: around the globe. We're literally, um, you were literally in a global role with this secret. Hanging over your head, yeah. It's got to be liberating now that it's oh, out. Oh, I'm like, I, I'm I'm one of the biggest.
1: I think it's also why I'm probably aging better now because I am. I used to always say this term called Operation Freedom. So mm-hmm. some of my friends who know me since I was uh, younger knew that like I've always been on a quest to be free. Um, and so one of the reasons why this whole underdog thing is just like I just I just want us to all figure out like how we can be as free as possible. And a lot of that is sometimes like admitting who we are,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, following our curiosity. Um, not holding on to secrets. Um, And so it's one of the reasons why I also share with my audience uh, because I know people have their version of I didn't finish, right? Or people have their version of always dreamed of doing this. People have their version of yeah, I was the female or I was the male part of like an abortion. Like mm-hmm. you know, there's all these things that everybody's like holding on to or keeping to themselves. Like well, you kind of like what I realized is, like everybody's had one or two or three or four of those things happen, and right. then we all
0: just like <laughs> holding on to it. Everybody's I, got I, I'll
1: never forget. I was in this leadership program, and um, it was the last night of the program, and like folks were like sharing about their experiences and and like sharing. Stuff and I'll never forget. I was like, I was up in front of the room and I started crying. I was like, I gotta share something with you and let you know what something's been on. And I was like, and I was like, I never finished school. Like, I, this was the first mm-hmm. time I kind of told some people. And like, I'm crying. I'm like thinking it's the biggest deal in the world. And like, I kept the secret. I started a job and I'm submitting. and and then literally they were like, we thought you would kill somebody or something like that. We didn't oh. know what you were gonna say. <laughs> and, I, and so I was like, I'm thinking people going now and I was like. Y'all, y'all not mad? You're not like, I was like I need some more something from you guys. I just told you this big secret, and y'all like, okay, cool. Like really? <laughs> All right. Anyway. And so it also helped me realize too that I can, you can, people listening can give a lot of significance to things, and it's natural. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, uh, letting it out and sharing it can um, lessen the the significance of it.
0: Right. And I think if going to a school like Penn, too, doesn't help because I don't know what the attrition rate is there. But, you know, people go to Penn. Remember, I already didn't think I was special. <laughs> right. So you get into this environment. Now, I have been on Locust Walk, right? I, yeah, that's been where there I went too. to school. So I know you go from like, you know, being probably the top of your class, like to like everybody's brilliant now at this point. And yeah. it's just a different environment. So to, to get into that environment, get really far and then not. I I, I feel like I, I know why that was a heavier situation for you than maybe somebody, you know, who was in a school where more people just quit, you know, or, or stopped going or never got around to getting those last few credits in. Yeah. So it's,
1: it's tough. And, and so I still, you know, full disclosure, there's times where I still think like, do I want to go back or not? Mm-hmm. Am I going back because I want to look good? I want to like do, make something wrong that mm-hmm. make it right. Right. Am I going back because... Of like those reasons or am I going back because, hey, I just want to finish something that I started or that I just think it would be cool to like, you know, finish it out. So it's one of the things I still go back and forth with. But I think if I had to pin it down, I did a vision board not too long ago Mm -hmm. and it was on there. And this is when I hate being in the coaching circle sometimes because coaches will say stuff where I'm like, and I was like, oh, I'm not sure if I want to go back or not. And then uh, my coaching buddy Wendy goes, well, it's on your vision board. Probably
0: means you want to go back. (laughs) I'm like I hate you, but I get it. Fine. Listen, you could always do a new vision board. In my opinion, uh-huh. just paste something else over it. Do a new vision board. It's fine, True. but we'll see.
1: But but it's it's part of my story, so I can uh, relate to folks from that standpoint. You know, a lot of stuff I've been able to experience and see um, help me um, be able to get along and talk to and relate to folks out
0: there. And for the record, Oprah left school early, too. She's doing all right.
1: Yes, I they're, 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 I appreciate that. <laughs> She's doing quite okay. If I, if I got to be in somebody's... <laughs> Speak that into existence. You know, Gregory and Oprah,
0: they... Right, you might in, yeah, exactly. You might be in the same little
1: video one day about people who didn't finish school and hey, yeah, life. I got a show on Sunday. I'll be next, you know, Super Soul Sunday.
0: Exactly, right? Okay, so before we let you get out of here, you also found your birth parents. Yes, And how was that? Emotional. I I can't even imagine.
1: I mean, um, there's a saying, you don't know how far is far until you go far enough, Mm -hmm. I think is how it goes. Um, I didn't know the level of emotions, maturity, forgiveness, love, anger. Like, I didn't know how far I could go within those emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, The first time I ever saw a therapist was when I was in the journey of searching for my biological parents. Now, I grew up thinking therapy was for rich people or crazy people. Right. Or actually for both rich and crazy people. But obviously, I now know that that's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, it's for everybody. Um, but I'll never forget the therapist, who I didn't even like, actually. I only saw her three times.
0: <laughs> not, I was about to say, how did you see a therapist you didn't like? But if you only saw three, I get it. I only then.
1: saw three. Yeah. But she gave me a couple of things that helped me. Um, I remember telling her, I was like, yo, I'm nervous to tell my parents that I want to go find my biological parents. I don't want them to think I'm ungrateful. I don't want them to be mad. Like, I'm also just like nervous about it. She goes, how long do you think they've known you were adopted? I was like, all right, I see where you're going. <laughs> Valid like. point. I like, okay. I was like, oh, that's a that's, that's good one. Okay, therapist, I see what you're doing there. I'm like, they've known I was adopted since I was two. And she was like, how long have you been thinking about this? I was like, well, you know, like the past five years or so, like really heavily. She was like, Okay, so they probably I'm like got it. It's probably not that big of a deal to bring it up to them because mm-hmm. they've kind of known I've been adopted for a long time. So I was like, cool. That gave me some courage. Um, and so I talked them about it, and I started the journey to go find them. She also said to me, she goes, "Are you angry at?" Her? I was like, "No, I'm not." Angry at she goes, "You're allowed to be angry at." Her. I was like, "Oh, then yeah, I'm angry at." Her. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, once the door's <laughs> open, it's like well, since I'm she, like, oh, we we it that me? way. <laughs> I'm like, so actually, now that you mentioned it, I actually am angry at. Her. I'm like, why didn't they figure it out? Like that. That was my. That's yeah, I'm I'm mad fair question. And I'm like, and I got other siblings and they got to stay like, yeah, I'm pissed. And then, so she was like, yo, it's okay to be angry. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm like, you know, I was kind of taught like to keep the consensus, not brother so I'm like, I didn't think I could be mad, but like, yo, yeah, now you mentioned I'm pissed. Mm-hmm. And then another thing she said to me, she goes, um, you're going to meet them. And she was like, you're probably going to want to know what happened. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to want to know what happened. And she was like, can you remember like things from 30 something years ago? I was like, Mm, not really. She was like, "About if you told me, like, why didn't you finish school, can you really tell me why you didn't finish school at 23? I'm like, probably not. Like, mm-hmm. the real answer is, I guess I didn't want to. Like, <laughs> But I can tell you, like, the, I'll just make up some story in my head, like, of what I think was the reason. And so she goes, they're going to tell you whatever they tell you. And then you get to, like, say, hey, now I know a version of the story. So all that helped. They both told me completely different stories, but it's mm-hmm. all good. <laughs> my anger then moved to, like, they were doing the best they could. Right. Um... And I learned that me forgiving myself for some things that I'd done over the year helped me also forgive them for stuff they've done over the years. Awesome. Um, And, you know, it's emotional. It's a lot of love. It's a lot of forgiveness. It's a lot of, you know, curiosity being... You know, they tell us we should learn about our history, right? Mm -hmm. You should learn about the slave trade. You should learn about Africa. You should learn about civil rights. I'm like, I don't even know the ancestors that gave birth to me. So imagine the gap I'm feeling right now. Right. So if you tell me that it matters and I'm like, then I'm probably lying to myself when I used to say that I didn't want to meet them. Right. But why didn't I tell? Why did I say? It? Remember we talked about Front Street and mm-hmm. th- so I used to say stuff like I'm not good with my current family. I'm gonna go meet a new one. Just stuff that I just made up.
0: Right. To be right. The story you told about yourself
1: not going to find them. Um. And like most things, right. Once you get committed to it, the first time I tried, I couldn't find them because I really wasn't ready.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Once I was ready to find them, I found them in like three months. Really. Yeah. Because like a lot of things, right. When you're like committed, then you become unstoppable. Mm -hmm. So like the radio show, to use an example, once I was committed to it, I just found somebody who had an internet radio station and then just went to their studio and did the show. And that was that. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, But when I wasn't committed, I'm like, I'm not doing a show unless I'm on terrestrial radio. And knowing that I wasn't going to get a show on terrestrial radio, <laughs> right? So it's like, I'm going I'm to make a ground rule that can't happen, so I can't have it. <laughs> and, so, and so I also tell people, too, it's like, I, and it's not, I'm like, I can tell when people just, they're like letting stuff get in the way because I'm just like, most things aren't that complicated to at least attempt. Right. Now, success, I can't really promise you whether things are going to work out or not, but like the actual attempt it's well within our control for most things. Right. You can give it the good old couch. Yeah, though. yeah. And once I did, then I found her, and then she helped me find my biological dad, and I'm still in contact with them. Turns out I'm the only child twice. So that was part of the reason why I didn't get to stay is because I'm their only child together. Ah. And then I, my parents who raised me, I'm their only child together. So I always have the interesting story of like, hey, I'm the only child twice, but I do have five half-siblings.
0: Wow. That's an incredible story. I feel like you should write a memoir one day.
1: I've been, um, some some folks have been encouraging me to write a book. Uh, so um,
0: well, we've already established it's not easy.
1: <laughs> no, it isn't. But um, I think as I think about like what's my commitment to my calling,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, then I also start to realize that there's some things I get to do if I'm committed to my calling.
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: and not everything is audio. Mm
0: hmm. So I know you're working on your commandments. What else is on the horizon for Gregory Neesmith?
1: Um, I I pitched uh, an idea to uh, TED Residency. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was due June 15th. So I put that in. And so I'm uh, waiting to hear back if I'll be part of their fall class. That would be very cool. Absolutely. If I'm a part of their residency and get to spread an idea and do a TED Talk, which is on my bucket list. So I'm waiting to hear back from that. Uh, I start, I'm going to start pitching my radio show and podcast to podcast networks and radio stations to start to reach more people, but also be able to monetize and get paid to do something that I love doing and learn a lot about patience too. Um the pitch game is like I'm now at a point where I'm pitching articles. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I just got published in Thrive Global, but I'm waiting to hear back from Addicted to Success. Um, I pitched to Gimlet for something, finally heard back that I didn't get that. Mm -hmm. But then I'm pitching to Ted, waiting to hear back from that. And it's just like, I'm like, man, Patience is, I thought I knew what Patience was. Different ballgame. Until, until, like, I thought I knew about Patience, like, with family or with, like, the adoption or with, like, dating. It's like, man, this pitching, like, something that's also just a part of, like, my cre what I'm creating it's like the patience game is
0: yes. It's is
1: a whole new game. But so I'm learning to pitch and be patient.
0: Yeah, and you can <laughs> pour your everything into it and it's like, eh, we're not interested. We're gonna pass on that.
1: Yes, yes. Which is um and I'm learning some tips on like how to pitch without having to create so much up front too mm-hmm. where you can kind of see like what people are biting on and then it's like, sure. oh, that's what you want? Cool, let me go make the rest of that up now that I know that that's a yes.
0: Right, right. Well, I've taken up a lot of your time, but I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation.
1: Oh, well, thank you. I'm, I'm grateful to, to be on here. This is my first interview as the founder and CEO of Underdog Stuff.
0: Look at that. Your <laughs> inaugural interview yes. as the founder and CEO. So where can people find you online? Line.
1: Uh, if they go to GregoryNeesmith.com, G-R-E-G-O-R-Y-N-E-S-M-I-T-H, uh, you have all the links to my social media, all the content I'm out there creating. And I'm excited to say that because up until a few months ago, I could have never have said that. I just launched my first ever website uh, this this spring.
0: You're on and popping right now.
1: Yeah. So I'm like, I, I just, can you ask me that question one more time?
0: You want it? You want to run it back one more no, time? No, I
1: just, I know it's just, it's just awesome to. I've never been able to say. Go to GregoryNewSmith.com
0: Well, I do often encourage people to say it a second time, which you just did. So listen, we reiterate around here because people are like, what, "What's that? What'd you say?" You know, I got to rewind. So I'm glad you, you're, you are, your face. You're like you are lit because up it's the right first now. First time
2: I've ever been able to say it,
0: and I, and the first time I was able to say. I have a podcast. You can find it on iTunes. I was like, man, yo, we did it. We got it out there. That's what I'm saying. Like,
1: well, yo, yeah, we on iTunes. Yes.
0: Yeah, so I, I get that feeling. We out here. Well, now I feel like I have to come on the radio show. Yes. I feel like I got to make it happen. But that live thing, I don't know if
1: I'm ready for that. It's live. It's <laughs> all the way. There's no... Because life is live. We we don't... You don't get to... Like, this it's happening right now. Right. Right and life is messy, so you gotta learn how to clean up things when they happen. You just, it's. I will say, it is a fun experience. So I look forward to having you on. I think you will. It's it's fun. It's like it's in the moment. And hey, you we can edit it for the podcast later. But people who listen live, they get like, yeah.
0: I, I gotta meditate on that a little bit because I can get a little <laughs> too honest at times. But it's all good as long as you don't curse. And even no, if you and I'm, do, gonna, I'm good about I, that.
1: There's a panic button, so I got a seven-second delay. So gotcha. Otherwise, you get to say whatever you want.
0: You know what? That might be me stepping out of my comfort zone very soon. Yeah. Hey, I stepped out of my comfort zone. I... I, I rarely do interviews. Yes. And you did an excellent job. Thank you. This might be the longest interview we've done. I don't even know what time it is. See, exactly. That's when you know you're in a good conversation when you lose track of time. And I don't have I a lot of those conversations, quite frankly. Podcast guests, not not y'all. I love every <laughs> one of those conversations. But, you know, you meet all kinds of people in New York. And some days I'm just like, I haven't been listening for the last 90 seconds. I don't know what this person <laughs> <laughs> said. <laughs> In any event, we're going to let you get out of here. To the listeners, make sure you go check out this website that Gregory has worked so hard on and is very excited about, www.gregorinessmith.com. And as always, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care.